The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. But he pointed out that if there are data that guide us for how long to give therapy, it's much easier to convince doctors you can give the prescription, but only give it for five days instead of 14 days. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. Welcome to another episode of Annals on Call. In this episode, we discuss an article titled, Appropriate Use of Short-Course Antibiotics in Common Infections, Best Practice Advice from the American College of Physicians. It appeared online April 6, 2021. Joining me on the podcast are Dr. Brad Spellberg, who is Chief Medical Officer at the L.A. County University of Southern California Medical Center. He's Professor of Clinical Medicine and Associate Dean for Clinical Affairs at the Keck School of Medicine at USC. Also, Dr. Rachel Lee is the UAB Healthcare Epidemiologist as well as the Birmingham VA Medical Center Associate Healthcare Epidemiologist. Her research focuses on multidrug-resistant pathogens as they relate to infection control, in particular, daptomycin non-susceptible enterococcus. She's the first author of this paper. We hope you enjoy this discussion. Brad and and Rachel, thanks so much for uh, joining us on this podcast today. As you know, Rachel and I spent significant time uh, working with the Scientific Medical Policy Committee of ACP to produce this paper, which is based upon a policy that the American College Physicians has approved and adopted. And I think it'd be great, Brad, for you to just reflect on why this is an important step for general internists to know about. It was actually Dr. Lou Rice, who was at the time Chief of Medicine at the Case Western VA, now as Chair of Medicine at Brown, who pointed out 2008, so it's 13 years ago now, hard to believe, that it's really hard to get doctors not to give antibiotics at all for a variety of psychological reasons. I mean, you know, it's hard to make the diagnosis. People are afraid that if they don't give a prescription, something bad could happen. Patients want the prescription. And so if what we're going to do is pound our head against the wall, trying to convince doctors not to give prescriptions at all, we're not going to win very many of those battles. But he pointed out that if there are data that guide us for how long to give therapy, it's much easier to convince doctor, oh yeah, no, go. you can give the prescription, but only give it for five days instead of 14 days, or only give it for three days instead of 10 days, and you've just cut your antibiotic use by two thirds, and it's a much easier battle to win. And so it's safer for patients and better for ecology so that you reduce selection of antibiotic resistance. That's the idea. Rachel, when I approached you to work on this project, uh, what, what attracted you to the project, and how do we go about picking the topics? 
So the fact is there are over 250 million courses of antibiotics given every year, um, just like what Brad is discussing. So if we can really move the needle in reducing use of antibiotics, I'm very excited about potentially reducing resistance. You know, here in Alabama, we have a large amount of E. coli that is resistant to fluoroquinolones. So, you know, when you think about treating urinary tract infections with fluoroquinolones or or pyelonephritis, you know, we don't have a lot in our arsenal. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I was really excited about this paper. Rachel and I spent a lot of time with the committee trying to figure out what topics would fit. And when you look at the paper, we talked about acute bronchitis in COPD. And the, the policy says to not give antibiotics for acute bronchitis unless it's COPD. I don't know if they're going to listen to us on that. I hope so. But perhaps they'll pay attention to the duration if they uh, decide to give antibiotics. And then, of course, we use community-acquired pneumonia. And Brad and I did a previous podcast on the problem of extended antibiotics in community-acquired pneumonia from a study in Michigan. I was the uh, primary uh, person working on those two. And then, Rachel, you worked on cellulitis and urinary tract infection, which are other very common reasons that we see antibiotics used too long. Brad, what do you think of those choices? And there are other things we could have covered. What did we leave out? That's a good slice of the studies that are available. You know, the, most of the studies have been in the pneumonia and UTI realm. There are also a couple of studies for intra-abdominal infections, and there are two studies for osteomyelitis, and then there's a smattering of one-offs here and there. So the bulk of the data are in the disease areas that you've described. It seems like, I don't know what percentage, uh, the two of you might know better than me, but what percentage of antibiotics that are given out in primary care do you think that this covers? This covers a wide portion. I think one of the other ones that we didn't cover is sinusitis, which is a very difficult kind of grouping of diseases. Most of them are viral in origin. I think one of the hardest things going through and writing this paper was clearly defining what we were talking about, because as an infectious disease doctor, you know, we know cellulitis, we know pyelonephritis, but to clearly demarcate where are the studies and what is the patient population that you really want to focus on. I think is what is helpful for internal medicine doctors. Yeah, and, and both Rachel and I are very grateful to the website that Brad maintains on this. Maybe you could just uh, advertise that website for us, Brad, because it really helped us start out our search and find out what the articles are. I have a, a home website, mostly because I published a couple books and added a page on short course therapy. So the website is bradspellberg.com backslash shorter dash is dash better. And uh, at this point, as you guys were alluding to across 14 different disease areas, there are now by my count about 68 randomized controlled trials, all of which show that short course therapy was as effective as longer therapy across all of those diseases. That's really incredible. And uh, we highly recommend uh, looking at that if you're not convinced. Rachel, you brought up a very interesting point. So I'd like to hear your comments and then Brad's comments. We specified the topics, but the point that you were making, Rachel, is that sometimes people are labeled as having community-acquired pneumonia when they don't. Sometimes they're labeled as having urinary tract infections when they don't. And I think in the studies, they do a good job of 
actually getting the people who have those designations, but that's a big problem in primary care and in hospital medicine. I agree completely. You have to know who you're treating and what is the true diagnosis. That's how we defined appropriate antibiotic use. You're giving the right antibiotic for the right dose at the right duration for the right diagnosis. And having all of those together is what helps these patients, you know, remain out of the hospital or get out of the hospital quickly. Brad, your thoughts about that? When I give my talk on short course therapy, I, do, I have people say to me, why are you talking about bronchitis and sinusitis and stuff? Uh, you don't need to give antibiotics at all. Or how come you're not talking about asymptomatic bacteria? And how come you're not talking about the fact that pneumonia is so commonly misdiagnosed and people get antibiotics that don't in fact have bacterial pneumonia? Even cellulitis, that's true. And my response is always sort of a tongue in cheek. If you're gonna give people antibiotics who don't need it, at least do us the courtesy of doing it for a short period of time. And that's my little tongue-in-cheek way of going back to Lou Rice's point, which is it's hard to convince someone that someone doesn't need an antibiotic because they don't know if they're sure about the diagnosis and they're scared. But if you're going to do it for a short course, you're going to do less damage anyway, and that's still a win. Brad, I would love to hear your thoughts about how you break people of these Constantine units, as you like to describe it. Because um, we think about seven-day intervals so often. How do you get them out of that? I like to be goofy. And so that's why I came up with the Constantine unit, is to just shake people out of their inertia, the dogma. Like, why are you given 14 days? Because Constantine the Great in 321 AD said there'd be seven days in a week, right? If he had said there were four days in a week, you'd be giving eight days. So I call him, oh, you're going to give two Constantine units instead of one Constantine unit. And it really sort of people start laughing and they start realizing how silly it is. The other one I use is a number of metacarpal bones in the hominid hand. It's really a shame we're not all three-toed sloths because we'd be giving three to six days of therapy for everything instead of five to 10 days of therapy for everything. So I try to really be silly about it and just show people how silly it is. This is how you're making your decision about how long to treat when in fact we have randomized controlled trials that give us actual data sets to choose from and oh, by the way, those durations studied are often not based on Constantine units, and sometimes they're not even based on metacarpal bones in the hominid hand. Let's just quickly go over the recommendations. I'm going to let Rachel go first, and we're going to start from the bottom of the list and work our way up urinary tract infections. Now, they're way overdiagnosed, but if it's really a urinary tract infection, Rachel, what should we be doing? Yeah, so for women who have uncomplicated bacterial cystitis, you really want to prescribe short course antibiotics. And that course is determined by the type of antibiotic that you give. So for nitrofurantoin, it's five days. For trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, it's three days. And then if you can get phosphomycin, it's a single dose. Um, and the data is very clear on, on treating women with uncomplicated cystitis. When you go to uncomplicated pyelonephritis, you can include both men and women. And you can do short course um, antibiotics either with fluoroquinolones, which is five to seven days. Um, and then there is data for seven days in trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, although there aren't enough RCTs yet, I think, to really push the needle. So we recommended 14 days based on susceptibility. Brad, we're going to let you comment on each of these. Yeah. So your thoughts about uh, the urinary tract infection one. You know, I think that those numbers are generally what I would say with the caveat that we have to acknowledge that when we're saying those numbers, 
That's because no one's done a shorter course therapy study yet. And so I, I always tell people, it's not enough to know what to do because you can look that up on your cell phone. You need to know why you're doing it because when things change, you won't be locked in. Oh, well, I was told on this podcast that it's seven days of a fluoroquinolone and next year somebody does a three versus seven day study. So know why you're doing it. We're recommending these numbers because this is what the studies currently show, but new studies will come out. And then the second one is personally, I'm actually comfortable with seven days of even Bactrim. I do agree that there aren't enough randomized controlled trials of Bactrim to know, but there's no intrinsic reason why Bactrim would be, uh, there. it's very heavily concentrated in the urine, why it would not be effective. And I think people need to remember that each day of antibiotic that you give is an increased risk. There's an escalating risk of adverse events and a de-escalating risk of benefit. So there's a threshold you cross at which each additional day adds harm without much benefit. Now, the question is always, where do you cross that point? And I think Rachel's point, which is a good one, is it's less clear for Bactrim than it is for the quinolones. Right. I agree with you. I think as an infectious disease clinician, I would feel confident giving someone Bactrim as long as you know that it is susceptible to it for seven days. Okay. Cellulitis. So from cellulitis, I think it's important, this goes back to the right diagnosis. And so there's purulent and non-purulent um, skin and soft tissue infections. And so we focused on non-purulent skin, um, skin and soft tissue infections, which includes cellulitis. And so in this, clinicians can use a five to six day course of antibiotics that are really effective against streptococci. That is the one that you want to focus on. Um, and you really want to make sure that your patients have um, close follow-up and are able to self-monitor and you can give them those signs to, to watch out for. This is one where the diagnosis is um, really important. There's a wonderful study from the dermatology literature uh, showing how often we misdiagnose cellulitis. Uh, is, is that your experience also, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially when you take care of patients who have vascular disease or diabetes, there are so many mimickers that, and it's just amazing how convinced doctors are. I'm, the typical dead giveaway is, oh, my patient has bilateral cellulitis. Oh, really? Yeah. Bilateral yeah. cellulitis. That's pretty unlucky of them to get simultaneous. Yeah. Two so yes, you're absolutely correct. And I, I completely agree with Rachel, five to six days. That's what the randomized controlled trial data show. I also think it's important, and I think, you know, I would like to hear Rachel said on this. We're talking about population-based recommendations based on large trials. Everyone should be comfortable talking to their patients and go, look, if you're at day six and you've still got a big area red, we got a problem and we need you to come back in. Is there a source control problem? Is this not in fact cellulitis? And you know what, if you're on day three and it's gone, and there's nothing left, give me a call and let's talk about whether you need to go all the way to six. So we, we need to have physicians understand that they can individualize to their patient. And that the key is what Rachel said, which is follow-up. That's really important. Yeah. And, you know, we both, uh, Bob and I work at the VA and we think a lot about this patient population. I always look at the toes and between the toes to see if you have tinea, because that can you know, potentially puts you to at risk for having recurrent cellulitis. So it's more than just that single diagnosis. You need to make sure there's not something else that you're missing as a clinician and, and try to prevent it going forward. Let's make clear that this recommendation is for non-purulent cellulitis. Once you have purulence or fluctuance, then staph comes into play 
and that's a totally different problem and it doesn't fit these recommendations. I did community-acquired pneumonia, which I've discussed uh, before with Brad. The recommendation at this time is that if the patient is stable 48 hours prior to five days, five days is all you need for antibiotics. There's a recent study that suggests that three days is probably good enough. And Brad will tell us that there's a study that says that one shot of ceftriaxone might be enough, but no more than five days if the patient is stable. And exactly what uh, Rachel just mentioned is, and, and Brad just mentioned, if the patient is not stable, number one, rethink your diagnosis, and number two, continue the antibiotics. Brad, your thoughts about, I know you've, you've thought about community-acquired pneumonia even more than I have, and I've thought about it incessantly. I think I, I agree with you completely. The, um, if you think about where we've come from, when I was a medical student, you know, back when I used to write a brontosaurus to work and pterodactyls roamed the world, I was taught two Constantine units to treat community-acquired pneumonia. And now we know unequivocally, based on many, many, many thousands of patients across a dozen randomized controlled trials, five days is totally adequate. Uh, as you say, as long as the patient is clinically stable 48 hours earlier. And now the data are starting to emerge, suggesting three days of a nice randomized controlled trial in Lancet is actually the fourth study looking at three days, although several of them have been in children, which is not as hard a, a disease to treat. But this in the Lancet study was an adult study. So this gets back to don't lock in on dogma. Know why you're doing what you're doing. This is what the latest studies show, but studies will change. And at the end of the day, pneumonia is such a diverse disease there has to be some room for customization. You know, and so I think that five days can be our benchmark. It may move to three days, but if someone is still sick at day five, you may go longer for a couple of days. If someone is totally better by day three, you may stop. It's somewhere in that three to five day range, it's becoming increasingly clear, is that threshold? Where if you continue beyond that, you're gonna pick up adverse events and you're not gonna to continue to benefit. And the last one we did was acute bronchitis and COPD. Now, this is, in order to even deserve antibiotics, you need to have dyspnea, purulent sputum, and increased sputum, at least two of those three. This is not someone who does not have COPD who has bronchitis because we do not recommend antibiotics for them. And good studies have shown that five days is enough. Now, this is really complicated because so many of our COPD patients are on chronic macrolides. But your thoughts on uh, the acute bronchitis one, Brad? People get irritated at me when I bring this subject up because they're like, I don't think you need it at all. And, and I'm not going to, that we're not here to discuss that point. That's a different podcast, right? Mm. Really hard to get doctors not to give it. And I, I would say there's almost equipoise on the question of whether you need it or not. But the bottom line is if you're going to give it, don't give two Constantine units. Give five days and you'll have cut your use by two thirds and then a lot less damage. Rachel and I are big fans of your writing, Brad, and we've read that there are a, a couple of exceptions, mostly in kids, uh, that a short course is not as good as a slightly longer course. And it'd be worthwhile uh, for the people who are listening to hear to know that there are a couple of exceptions. There was a large randomized controlled trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine a few years ago. This is otitis media in children under the age of two where five days was clinically inferior to 10. Now, I will also point out, 
there is a Cochrane review of otitis above the age of two where there is less certainty, there's equipoise, and short course may well be adequate. But clearly, otitis under the age of two, based on this large randomized controlled trial, five days was inferior. For strep throat, it's more complicated. It's not as simple as some of the angry pediatricians were implying. Clearly, five days of standard dose penicillin is inferior to 10 days based on um, failure to eradicate the bacteria and symptomatology. However, five days of oral cephalosporin was not inferior to 10 days of penicillin. And there was a more recent trial where they gave high-dose penicillin five days, and it was clinically non-inferior. There was a slight increase in microbial persistence, but no clinical difference. So the answer is, it probably is okay to give short course for strep throat if you use the right treatment, not standard dose oral penicillin. But the reality is, you know, 10 days of oral penicillin is probably okay for strep throat. Great. You've told me before that some people argue about tuberculosis treatment. So where do we stand with tuberculosis treatment? It's a great question. I like to point out, because people say, well, tuberculosis treatment remains so long. Well, let's look at pulmonary TB, which nowadays standard treatment would be six months, as long as there isn't unusual persistence of bacteria after the first two to three months. That is short course, believe it or not, because before pyrazinamide and rifampin came along, it was two to three years. So in a sense, six months is already short course. And I think the studies have already shown that we can move to shorter than two to three years. What we don't know is can we go shorter than six months? And it will not shock me as drug therapy improves and people become more aggressive. If in the next few years, people start publishing three or four month regimens and along those lines, how many years was it standard 12 months prophylaxis for, uh, for um, patients who were PPD positive? So those who were quote unquote colonized but didn't have active disease, then it went to nine months. And now we know one month of rifamycin with the second drug or three or four months of rifampin alone is adequate. So TB therapy is becoming shorter. We just have to keep paying attention to the trials. If only we could move the needle on some of those non-tuberculous mycobacteria, which seem somewhat impossible at times to eradicate. Yeah, that's our problem. That's a good point, Rachel. Our problem with those is we don't have, as you say, good therapies. We don't have good antimicrobials. The other big one I get asked about all the time is endocarditis. Well, we need six Constantine units of endocarditis, and people get really angry about this one. And I use six weeks because I'm afraid not to because no one's done. We know for strep endocarditis, if you add aminoglycoside to pen sensitive, two weeks is adequate. But nobody's done short course therapy studies for endocarditis yet, and I will not be at all shocked if we don't need to treat for six. We just need the trials to be done. That's a great point. You know, when I'm on service with my infectious disease fellows, you know, I tell them to look at the circulation guidelines and what side of the heart is it? Is the right-sided endocarditis or left-sided endocarditis? Because the durations change. It's not always six weeks, depending on the type of um, bacteria and the side of infection. Well, and I agree, but that is expert opinion. Right, agreed. That gets back to know why you're doing what you're doing so that when new trials come out, we can adapt. The endocarditis one is going to be complicated by the types of different bacteria that cause endocarditis. And uh, I, I've been 
talking for quite some time to people, the infectious disease that I worry about the most, Lemaire syndrome, nobody has any idea how long to treat it. And uh, we did a survey and it was like between three weeks and a year that patients had received antibiotics. Now, fusobacterium is really hard to, hard to treat, but what impresses me and I, and, uh, I think as, uh, as a general internist hospitalist, the number of studies that are being done to try to right-size antibiotics, perhaps that's the right label for this, is we're trying to right-size antibiotics. We want to give we don't want to be Goldilocks and, and be on a bed that's too hard or too soft. We want to be on one that's just right. And Brad, we can't thank you enough for being one of the faces of short course antibiotics or right size antibiotics. Well, I appreciate you guys both taking this topic on. I think we can do a lot of good and it's feasible to do. And that's what separates short course therapy out is doctors can get behind it because they can still give the antibiotic, but it's safer for their patients and it works. So thank you very much for taking the topic on. Any last thoughts from you, Rachel? No, I think that this is one of my favorite topics, that along with oral antibiotics, you know, going from IV to oral. Um, the, I think those are really changing the face of infectious disease. And I'm excited about having that conversation with anyone. All three of us really hope that those of you listening have learned a lot and thought a lot about uh, antibiotic duration, and uh, we really appreciate you listening to our podcast. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This uh, discussion of what we believe is a very important paper from the American College of Physicians advises appropriate use of short course antibiotics for four conditions. We also discussed a number of other conditions where short-course antibiotics are likely to be useful. The idea behind short-course antibiotics is the less antibiotic exposure, the less complications, and the less resistance is produced. We hope you've learned a lot uh, from listening to us discuss the importance and appropriate use of short-course antibiotics for COPD exacerbations, community-acquired pneumonia, non-purulent cellulitis, and urinary tract infections. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.